I'm gonna make you feel old for a second. Later in 2021, it'll be 30 years since the grunge explosion and the true start of the 90s music scene really happened. As soon as Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, it feels like nothing else really mattered that year in music. But the crazy thing is, it didn't happen until the later part of 1991. What was music like before Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden brought the Seattle sound into the mainstream and changed music forever? Well, let's take a look. This is The Tim Gavin Show. 1991 seems... 1991, this is a big year. I mean, not at the moment. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but that's why I wanted to look at it, because it's like everyone knows that with 1991, that was the year that grunge happened. Yeah. And that only happened in the last part of 1991. But I want to talk about what came before. What was like the catalyst building up to like, okay, now we need something entirely different. We just need to take the music and just turn it all on its head. And spoiler alert, not much came before. Yeah, in fact, I was looking through these charts earlier and it seems like a lot of the big songs, not only were they like out still from the year before, but they were from albums that were still from 1989. Well, and the other thing about that is um, there's a lot of big artists on this list for sure. But these are duds of their songs. Like this is the low of the low. As we start in with the top 10, uh, in at number 10 was Bette Midler's From a Distance. And really, like if you're going to listen to Bette Midler, it's... Wind Beneath My Wings, and that's it. And even then, I'm not a huge fan of that song. Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't do much for me, right? Uh, And then number nine, Nelson's After the Rain. Which is just like, eh. Not to be confused with Nelson. Does that even get any radio airplay still? Uh, You might hear it on, like, some of the easy listening stations. Maybe. Maybe. But that would be about it. Uh, and then Stevie B and Because I Love You, the Postman song, was at eight. Again, just, you know, more just meh. How about Vanilla Ice and play that funky music at seven? <laughs> yes, and the only thing special about this song, well, a couple things. A, you have another shamelessly overused sample, like Vanilla Ice he is a textbook example of how not to sample for music. Like just take like the best part of one song, lean entirely on that, have everything else not be special. And not only that, this song is actually the reason that Ice Ice Baby became popular because it was the B-side. Yeah, I, uh, a story about that going back, uh, a couple of years ago, there was some sort of contest that we were doing and it was, uh, we played you a few seconds of a song and you had to guess what the song clip was. And we were the assholes who decided to take, um, under pressure as the song that day. Uh, and I say we were the assholes because of the fallout that came from it, because technically, yes, the, the five people that called in, and said Ice Ice Baby were correct, but that's not what we were looking for. <laughs> well, they're the a-holes 
for thinking of Ice Ice Baby first and not under pressure. It hurt my heart, okay? Uh, Okay. It hurts me (laughs) thinking about that. Oh, and then we pulled a similar stunt a couple of years ago where it was listen for the song of the day or whatever. And we, uh, the song of the day was under pressure. And we also plotted Ice Ice Baby into the lineup. (laughs) And it was like, People were mad because we did it like maybe six songs before Under Pressure played. (laughs) Um, And then the only song on this top ten that really gets any notoriety still to this day, in at number six, CNC Music Factory and Gonna Make You Sweat. I will say this is one of two great songs on this top ten in my opinion, though. Okay. We'll talk about the other one a little bit later on. I have a on. feeling I know which one you're talking about. So, yeah. Uh, but it's like, it's one of those ones that you'll hear it at, on, you know, still any classic hit station will play this one. Um, it, it really just gets people going and up and moving. So that's at least a good thing. Yeah, like, this is definitely a jock jam. Like, it's the kind of music that, you know, you hear in gym class. It gets you going at the gym. And Hockey games. when you hear it when you're out clubbing, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it still has its worth and its value, for sure. And then this one had no idea what the song was. Never heard the name before in my life. Ralph Trevant with Sensitivity at Five. Yeah, and I, I I did a little digging into into Ralph Trevant. He was actually in New Edition with Bobby okay. Brown. Yeah, so that's where he gets some of his po- his popularity. Like New Edition split up, they all like go and do you know the boy band thing, have their own solo careers, and you know this was just like his his one big single, but. You know, yeah, because you can't really enough to be a one-hit wonder. You can't. Well, by technicality, would be a one-hit wonder, Uh, but you can't really compare the solo careers at the end of the day of Ralph Trevant and Bobby Brown. Like this is no my prerogative. (laughs) Oh, not at all. But I, I, there are some things that I actually kind of like about this song. Like, obviously, it is so dated. Oh yeah. And not great, but it has this beat to it. And I, I like the beats. Like if, if we could take that drum track and just recycle it for something else, I think there's potential to extract a great song there. Mm-hmm. But my main beef with sensitivity is actually the same gripe that I have with number four surface the first okay, time let's hear your beef. in that it is it is so cheesy ah. and so so what you're saying is is basically like, they brought the cheese of the 80s with them yeah like this is like the cheesiest corniest r&b that i have ever heard in my life it's like it's like the worst parts of boys to men <laughs> Uh, and then I'm pretty sure this is the other one that you uh, wanted to, I guess, shine a light on as one of, being one of the two songs. Number three, Damn Yankees and High Enough. No, no actually. Really? No. 
I hate this song. I got so many like, requests this, for this back this in the day. This song right here. This is actually like I think like a reason why people were so eager to change over to grunge because this is like I dislike power ballads so strongly. Yeah. And there is just absolutely nothing redeemable about this. Like, first of all, Damn Yankees, it's like you have the worst parts of so many other bands. Like you have you have Tommy Shaw from Sticks, who was like, he was he was the weak point in Sticks. Mm-hmm. Let's be real here. Jack Blades from Night Ranger, and like, you know, Night Ranger is okay, but they're nothing special. And then you have noted insane person ted nugent <laughs> who like isn't even bringing his best with his guitar playing in this project like this is just like the worst power ballad ever and like i i've heard it once and i never want to hear it again i got so many requests for this back in the day and it drove me nuts and like I don't. I didn't understand the hype around it, but I do know now how to bug you, if I need to. Just like, I don't know, randomly start singing bad English when I see you smile, because <laughs> that'll annoy the living hell out of Tim. <laughs> well, I, I do suppose it is payback for all the times that I've rickrolled you. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then number two, Madonna's "Justify My Love," and this right here. This was the other good song okay. on this chart that I was talking about. Like a lot of people know this song as like for its music video, for its controversy. Yeah. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about really the musical structure of okay. this. Because even though it does sound a little dated by today's standards, this was at a time where Madonna was light years ahead of the curve musically speaking because like this is basically a trip hop song right and this was still when trip hop like it was still like in its like very infancy it didn't even have the name yet uh massive attack they had only just put out their first single back in october of 1990 and that like they were still gaining traction over there like the whole bristol music scene very much contained over there it wasn't really until 1994 when the sound that Madonna was going for on Justifying My Love exploded, but she managed to like, you know, create this not only very catchy and very sexy song, but also like do it with the with the style that was just so ahead of, of everything. And she didn't even put it on one of her main albums. She tossed it as like an unreleased track for her greatest hits album, The Immaculate Collection. Yeah, and I mean, it did get its due. It did make it up to number one. This is the week that it was beaten out, though, by Janet Jackson's Love Will Never Do. Yeah, and this is what I mentioned earlier, because this is off of her Rhythm Nation album. Like This is one of like her biggest releases. But at this point, that album had been out for two years. Yes. Which just goes to show just how much longer the album cycle was back in the days before streaming and before the internet. Well, and I'm looking at um, Janet Jackson's discography at the moment. And even the 
songs that came out of not just Rhythm Nation, but Control as well, that pretty much for the most part, other than Funny How Time Flies and The Pleasure Principle, they all made at least top five uh, including like What Have You Done For Me Lately and Nasty, uh, Rhythm Nation was top two, and then your number ones were um, When I Think Of You, Miss You Much, Escapade, Black Cat, and then this one. Like, this is, this this seems like a low point for her, considering how big both of those albums were. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. And... You know, it, it kind of like brings up the question, like, you know, Janet Jackson kind of, you know, faded away from the pop culture spotlight after that one Super Bowl with Justin mm-hmm. Timberlake. Yeah. And like, you got to wonder if if that didn't happen, would she still be much more of a household name? Yeah, I don't know. Um... And I know it- it feels it actually kind of feels like a really like awful take just to say out loud like this but you know like and obviously Janet Jackson great songs and like how everyone responded to that was just it, it was just shady all around but you know it kind of makes you wonder like would the comeback for her career have been you know better after if that hadn't happened for sure. As uh, we keep moving down the list. And here's what I'm talking about. Like, there's some big groups and big names from, um, you know, the late 80s going into the 90s that are on this list that didn't really do much with their songs in 91. Uh, Will to Power's I'm Not In Love was at number 11. Yeah, and Will to Power is just very confusing to me how they got so popular because they did have some original songs but their two biggest hits are both covers and like this they're covering 10 cc mm-hmm. here it, it's a decent cover i i like listening to it but you know my whole thing with covers is i just don't think that they should be like leading singles for for artists they should be just bonus tracks yeah and that's a thing uh, I'm with you on that one because I maintain like 99% of the time the original is always going to be the best at the end of the day. Oh, 100%. So, like you'll get the odd one slip through the cracks and you're like, "Okay, well that's better." And we've talked about it on the show before. Um Yeah. And I want while we're on that, I'm going to bring it up. The one I talked about yesterday, uh, another cover that's better than the original uh, Philosopher King's Cry, way better than Godly and Cram. Oh, 100 percent. Like the Philosopher Kings, they are, I think, way better artists than maybe they get credit for or their like recognition gets because like they have some solid hits on their hands and not only that but they were doing the whole virtual band thing way ahead of everyone because like it was a couple of members of the philosopher kings that made um prozac oh, yeah 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 so uh and then well and, and we we talk about covers and now we go into a remix uh dna's remix of tom's diner with suzanne vega yeah and this i think it kind of Again, goes back to that trip hop sound because stylistically, very similar sounding to Justify My Love. And Tom's Diner, I think it's 
it's actually a very important song, not just for the singing, but what that singing does. Because, you know, the original version of Tom Steiner, it's it's an acapella song. But when researchers were first working on the MP3 format, this was basically the baseline to see the quality for it. Like they listened to uh, Tom's Diner over and over and over again, just to make sure that it would sound right, or at least, you know, sound like it would be good, good enough. For sure. And I mean, like, like you said there, it was acapella, completely different style than Suzanne Vega's other hit, which was Luca. Yeah. But I think like this remix, it's so good too. Oh yeah. And yeah, and there aren't too many remixes that I would rather listen to than the original, but this one is definitely an exception. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was going up to Lac La Biche last uh, for the Radiothon up there, um, the station, as soon as I turned it on, was playing Tom's Diner, and I was just like, do 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 <laughs> You just can't help it. And that was in at number 12. Uh, and then you get names like Wilson Phillips with Impulsive at number 15. The Every time someone says the, the name Wilson Phillips, I always think of Bridesmaids. <laughs> like, that's the only reason I've heard of them. Not for Hold On? No, like only because of bridesmaids. That's it. That's all. That's all. Uh, and then, oh, and we also have uh, Winger with Miles Away, and this is this is another band that I keep seeing. Like they got a whole bunch of flack back in the day just for existing. Like these guys were like, I want to say the Imagine Dragons of their time. <laughs> Not necessarily the Nickelback of their time, but like you know they're they had the sound. They were all right, but by the time they came into the picture, they were just kind of considered watered down compared to the already watered down scene that was 80s hair metal. That's fair. Um, in at number 17, it's another one of those uh, covers from UB40, The Way You Do the Things You Do. And this isn't even like their best cover either. And they've got so many of them. Like, if you think about it, they also got, like, I Got You, Babe. Um, Red Red Wine, they, which is, like, didn't my instant go-to UB40 song. Yeah, didn't they also... Um, they covered Elvis, too, uh, with uh, I Can't Help But Falling In Love yeah, With You. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Fun fact about that song, that was actually, like, up really high on the charts. I think even number one the week that I was born. Oh, I, the Can't Help Falling In Love? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was released in 93. Yeah. Ooh, going down to another, uh, well, actually kind of a couple things I wanted to point out. Whitney Houston taking number 18 and 19 side by side. Yeah. All the man that I need. That's really and impressive. And I'm your baby tonight. It was one of the, it, it's that instance though, when you can see it where, um, I'm your baby tonight had already been out for a while and it's now dropping on the charts and all the man that I need is going up. Because yeah, yeah. Then at number twenty, you have in excess with disappear. This was, I, I guess, a little bit after you know their their like peak with kick. They just put out X, which is their other like near perfect album. Mm-hmm. And this is like one of my favorite songs off of that album. Okay, yeah, I uh, I don't know, I 
I, I've honestly haven't listened to Disappear all that often. I know the song. Uh, I still think it doesn't beat Suicide Blonde, though, which was also on that album. Oh, 100%. But, you know, I will say that X by NXS, that album is like front to back, such a great album. It's, it's like, it's a perfect follow up to Kick. The Outfield, apparently, technically not a one hit wonder. They had For You in at number 21 this week. Yeah, but. It, it's no Your Love. Huh? I. I I'm sure we've played it before, but I don't know it. I well. I don't know it either. I don't even think it was in the system, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, because, I mean, whenever you hear the outfield, you automatically think of your love. So, uh, And then Poison was something to believe in at 22. Yeah, which, again, it's no, no rock station I know plays that song. Like, it's always, uh, like, talk dirty to me, nothing but a good time. Maybe once in a while your mama don't dance. Oh, yes. I, I know we play that uh, on classic hits uh, every so yeah, often. Like that. I, I actually love that song. Their cover of Loggins and Messina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, it's catchy. Yeah, for sure. And then Warren's I Saw a Red at 23. Yeah. I Looking back at the story and like the backstory behind Warren's, I... I kind of feel bad for them that they didn't get bigger and that they didn't have another big hit besides Cherry Pie. I mean, Uncle Tom's Cabin, that was a decent song. I think that actually goes a lot harder Heaven. than Cherry Pie. Didn't they also have a song called Heaven? <laughs> I'm looking that up. I actually can't remember. <laughs> Hang on, I'm on this. But again, it's... it's it, again, it just goes to show that whole you know, greatness of Warrant Erasure. Yeah, so they had Heaven. Uh, that was back in the 80s, and that got to number two. Which actually charted higher than Cherry Pie. No Cherry kidding. Pie only charted at 10. And yet it's the bigger song. See, it just goes to show, sometimes your chart position doesn't always determine, like, how quality a song is. For sure. Number 24, Celine Dion, and where does my heart beat now? Probably not with this song. No. God, no. Because it is not a standout <laughs> one for her. Oh, yeah. There... 90s Celine Dion was just, uh, it was very drab. Yeah, I mean, she kind I'm she kind of had a little bit more upbeat stuff on what was that album that she did where she had a cover of "I Drove All Night." Oh, that was like that wasn't until two thousand three, yeah, two thousand. But that's what I'm saying is that ninety Celine Dion was so drab. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, Mariah Carey's "Love Takes Time" at twenty five. Yeah, and this is, I think this is still, like, before Mariah Carey had, like, really, like, reached superstar status. Like, she was still, like, you know, working on getting up there, but still, pretty good song from her, but not, like, my favorite to listen to. For sure. I agree with that one 100% of the way. Uh, LL Cool J, Around the Way Girl, 27. 
I keep forgetting that he made music. Right. Like he has some fun songs. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this a little bit before that we always forget that LL Cool J was a thing as a musician. Yeah, but you know, the stuff that I have heard from him, it's fun music. And you know, he's just got this like really great personality and like most I say that mostly just from seeing him on TV, but you know, I I can kind of understand the hype just from like his personality alone. I, I can imagine that, you know, he would be like really entertaining to see live. Oh, for sure. And then Robert Palmer's You're Amazing at 28. Another decent Robert, Robert Palmer song, but again, not the one you'll all you'll usually hear on the radio. It's usually like addicted to love. Simply irresistible. Yeah. Oh, I love Simply Irresistible. Right? It's Simply Irresistible. Yeah. Hey, this, this guy. Yeah, low hanging fruit is low hanging. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and we have uh, number 30, uh, George Michael with Freedom. This would have been Freedom 90. Think- this would have been Freedom 90. Yes, this would have been. And I-, I think Freedom 90 definitely better. And have you seen the music video for this? Yes, I have. Very tongue-in-cheek, very hilarious. Absolutely. And yeah, when you look at classic hit stations and which one they're taking, you always hear Freedom 90. You never hear the full-on Wham! version. Yeah. Uh, Phil Collins, hang in long enough, 31. And really, he is definitely just hanging in long enough at this point in his career. Hey. (laughs) Again, low-hanging fruit. Two in a room. Wiggle it. 32. Just the the name and yeah. the song yeah. title. Just that, yeah. that combination. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That alone, I think, is good enough to just get it where it is on the charts. And, like, it, it peaked at 15. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. I, I just, like, wiggle it. That- I think I might have, like, the odd time plopped it in our logs back in the day yeah but it wasn't that often uh share at 33 with another cover the shoop shoop song which is like i never thought that i would not want to hear the word shoop because you know salt and peppa that song yeah that song's great but just like you know hearing share use that word is just but I mean, it is the better out of the versions of that song. There's more. Uh, Betty Everett was the original back in 64. Then Ramona King did one. Linda Lewis. Linda Ronstadt. Really? Uh, she actually did it on uh, SNL back in 1979. No And kidding. then there was the share version. And there's, I I just scroll to the other versions section on Wikipedia, and there's, like, maybe 15 more. Dang, that's a a surprising number of covers. Right. Right. Who would have thought? Yeah. Then we got uh, Black Box at number 35. I don't know anybody else. And, again not their best i prefer everybody everybody yeah everybody yeah uh this was okay this mariah carey song that we got at 37 this was kind of the the kickstart for her if you will because you do hear someday every so often yeah so 
and it's just getting its first week on the chart here. So you can tell like something, something's coming up and it's coming up it's big. It's coming up Mariah, 38 Chris Isaac in Wicked Game. Which is it? I'm surprised that this is like so low on the chart. Yeah, considering the like, the nostalgia factor around it when we look at it now. Um, but oh my god, it is so ballady. It is, but I didn't know this song was released around 1990, 1991. Like I thought that this was much older. Nope, 90s. I knew that one. <laughs> I had that one for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, I, I wanna, I just wanna point this song out. Number thirty-nine. We have uh, Timmy T with one more. Try. Not to be confused with Timmy G. Yeah, and I, I, I listen to the song. This is basically the real life equivalent to "Can I Borrow a Feeling?" Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I like I. Apparently, he's supposed to be a freestyle singer. I don't hear it here. <laughs> uh, in at 40, uh, John Bon Jovi from the Young Guns 2 soundtrack, Miracle. Yeah, and really not my favorite from the Young Guns series. Of course, Blaze of Glory, definitely the better of the songs from those soundtracks. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Not a cover, 41, after Seven's Heat of the Moment. Interesting. It's not a cover of Asia. I just looked it up because I was like, oh, that's got to be a cover, right? But no. Yeah. And then we have ACDC with Money Talks. Again, another song that I thought was a lot older than it is. So I, I feel like we get that in the first, and, and you've mentioned it, how it usually takes a couple of years to get the new trends in music going in terms of decade to decade. And I think maybe that's why we think that songs like Money Talks are older is because it still has that heavy 80s influence into it. Yeah. But strangely enough, out of like all the songs that are on this chart, I'd say Money Talks, it's probably aged so much better than everything else. Because like, you know, ACDC still sounds like very consistent even to today. Like whatever they're doing, their whatever production tricks that they were using back then, they're probably still using now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even be surprised if they're still using some of the same equipment they're using to record. But you know, it's st- it still sounds good. Absolutely, maybe not like super fresh, but still oh, good for sure. And it- it's one of those songs that you can't help but enjoy when it comes on every single time. Another one of those ones, "Delight Grooves in the Heart" at forty three. Yeah, this song, it's it, I'm pretty sure it's just like timeless because you know, it kind of it feels both older and fresher at the same time. Like it could have come out in the 80s at the same time it could have come out in like the mid to late 90s too. Like this the song just like transcends all perceptions of time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's so so good. Yeah. But, you know, it, at the same time, it, it also, like, is the perfect storm for being a one-hit wonder. It's hard to recover off of that one, honestly, because, I mean, that was your big hit. And it's, I, I'm reminded about the um, Spider-Man and Family Guy part where he's like, everybody gets one. 
<laughs> and this, everybody gets and one. this is the one for delight i guess because they didn't do much anywhere else uh and then a couple yeah. other big names on this list that these and and these are dead songs for them. Elton John's "You Gotta Love Someone" at forty four, and then "Bad Company's If You Needed Somebody" at forty five. Yeah, and it's like this is like right before Elton John got his like next big career resurgence because it's still a little bit. It's still a little while before The Lion King comes out. Yeah, and like I remember this part of his biography that I was listening to around uh last year around springtime last year and yeah he was talking about like you know didn't really get up to much at that point released some music didn't get quite that big but he wasn't worrying about he was he really wasn't worried about having hits at that point for sure uh and then the righteous brothers on chain melody at 47 and i think this is like the oldest song on this list because like wasn't this like out in like the 60s yep. i believe but i believe 67 yeah and it was that version that came out then too but it got a huge comeback because it was in a movie 65 i lied uh it also got uh-huh. reissued in the uk in october of 1990 Ah, so that that probably did it too. It would have helped a little bit, uh, but mm-hmm. that was UK. We're looking at US, right? So, right. Um, and then Steve Winwood, one and only man, at forty-eight. Again, decent enough song, but you know, is it is it really the one Steve Winwood song that you think of right off the top of your nope. head? Nope. Um, yeah, same with uh, Heart, number fifty, with Stranded. Exactly. Uh, and right before that, Tony, Tony, Tony. I just had to say that because I love the name. Uh, it never rains in Southern Great California. Name, the, the spelling kind of just irritates uh, me. Well, see, technically, I believe the E is supposed to have an accent on it as if it's French. You're looking it up now, aren't you? No, actually, I'm, I'm looking up something a little bit. Okay, ahead, feels good. Because I noticed that another band we were talking about shows up again. Feels here. good by Tony, Tony, Tony. Also in at fifty three. So apparently, this is the year of Tony, Tony, Tony. Uh, number fifty six, Don Henley's New York Minute. This is actually another another re- really good song. Like it you is. can't really go wrong with Don Henley. No, God, his solo stuff is so good. It is. Like, all she wants to do is dance, dirty laundry. Oh, so, so good. Yeah, and ever ever since I moved out here, like, all she wants to do is dance. That, that song will come up a lot, and I always jam out to it every time I hear it. Like, that, that synthesizer bass line. Yeah. It is just the catchiest thing ever. <laughs> all she wants to do. Anyway, uh, Stick, Show Me The Way, 57. Yeah, and this, again, uh, Tommy Shaw, out of the band at this point, replaced by uh, James Vincent Young. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a decent song. I thought it was a cover for some reason. I had to, That's why I had to look it up. Right. Yeah, because, you know, Peter Frampton, he has a song of the same name. But, no, different song. 
I like the cover art for this too. Like it looks very, very nineties and -hmm. like very like retro, but in a classy way. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then this one in at number 61, I wanted to say, oh, this is really the only song that Alias had on this chart. But then you look down at number 71 and they debuted this week as well with Waiting for Love. Obviously, that one did absolutely nothing. But more than yeah. words can say at 61, making Alias their one hit wonder. Ooh yeah. Yeah. And a Canadian but- one hit wonder at that. Yeah. Still, it's nice seeing some Canadian success at this point because, like, this is this is still, I think, a little bit before the big Can Rock explosion too that happened. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I think if I'm remember, remembering correctly, that was ninety six ish, ninety seven ish, somewhere around there. A little bit, yeah, yeah. So somewhere because, like, I think I'm pretty sure Sloan were starting to make music at this point too. Yeah, but it didn't really explode until later on in the 90s. Yeah, but I think that like the the explosion of grunge definitely helped out to some degree with uh, with Canadian rock bands starting to come out, too. I'd agree with that. Uh, yeah. Sting debuted this week at number 66 with all this time. Yeah, not my not my in my first like choice for a Sting song. That I would like want to listen to from his solo career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me that would have to be maybe Desert Rose or If I Ever Lose My Faith in You. If you love somebody, set them free. Oh, that's a good one too. <laughs> uh, George Michael waiting for that day debuted at sixty-eight. Well, it looks like he's still waiting for that day with uh, with how low that song is on the charts. Still, it is its first week, but. Not not my not a go to George Michael song. Nope, that's for sure. Uh, Maxi Priest just a little bit longer at sixty nine. Nice, nice. Oh, and then uh, we have another uh, another two big big rock hits. These are both songs that you'll still hear on rock radio these days. Number seventy two, The Black Crows, Hard to Handle. Oh, so good. It's, uh, actually, I brought that song. This is the second time Hard to Handle has come up in a conversation today. <laughs> well, the song's just that good. Um, I was talking with a friend earlier, and he made some sort of comment about, "Oh, you're a little too much to handle sometimes," and I just like broke into that right away. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then Tesla signs also something to- else to look forward to after the pandemic's over. The Black Crows got back together. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, they were going to go on tour last year, but then you know. 2020 happened. Yeah, let let's not talk about 2020. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard to handle. Oh. Why can I not have hotkeys on this damn Zoom call? I just want a hotkey with a rim shot. <laughs> yeah, we gotta look into that. Uh, no, put it. Just put it in in post. Okay. Put it in in post. <laughs> okay. Uh, t- uh, number 73, Tesla and Signs was the other one that you were gonna talk about. Yeah, and this was uh, this was another cover. Yeah, of uh, Five Man Electrical Band uh, making yeah, a CanCon. This was unplugged too. Not only that, the the one that you hear more often is a live version. 
Oh, absolutely. Like, th- in fact, like, I don't think there is a studio version of Tesla's signs. I think it is only. I think I found, I think I found one one time when. Really? Um, back in the old days, um, we, when we were still variety and I had a request show and I had I gotten a request for Tesla's version of signs and I went to go try to find a version of it that I could just buy and use that uh, because none of our stations had it <laughs> for whatever reason. They all had the live one. Um, and I think I did find one, but at the end of the day, I just went with the live. Wow. I got, you have found like a musical Atlantis. And it's then, like trying to find why part one by collective soul. And then I still had to edit that version because nobody else did. And it had like full on swore right in the middle of the song. Well, at least now there is an edited version. Yep. Somewhere. <laughs> yep. It does exist. I can confirm. Uh, <laughs> number 77 vanilla ice makes his appearance with ice ice baby. And was at number one, but now falling. Well, I mean... So rapidly, because the week before it was at 55. The pop culture impact of Ice Ice Baby, of course it was going to get to number one. Yeah. But I feel like it, it was ju- it's just so overstated. It's one of those songs where I'm like, how is, are people still talking about this? I know, right? I know. Yeah. MC- if anything, maybe just to prove that not all music from the past was great. MC Hammer, uh, really just diving right in here. Uh, further down on the list at 81 was Prey, but this one, it's almost like he's just introducing himself to us. Like, we got Prey, and Prey hit number two. And then we're like, who the hell is MC Hammer? So then he releases a song called Here Comes the Hammer. <laughs> But hey, you know, I'm sure that, you know, later on he would prove himself to be untouchable. If you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. How many times am I going to have to put a rim shot in in post? Delight uh, came back at number 82, Power of Love. Yeah, so not quite not quite one hit wonder. We have the um, the the follow-up people would see, "Oh, do I want more Delight?" But I don't know. Maybe not that delightful. I, uh, no, I was going to make the same joke as well. Stop. <laughs> Let me have some of these. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got some Depeche uh, Mode here, number 83. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to talk about that one. World in my eyes. Yeah, and this was a really interesting time for Depeche Mode. Like, Violator just came out. One of their best albums has one of the best songs ever written on it. World in my eyes. Also... Another great single, but, you know, if you look into the history of Depeche Mode at that time, like, it's it's where things get really interesting. We'll put it that way. Yeah, Depeche Mode uh, in the early 90s, and correct me if I'm wrong here, even though they had that big album, uh, Violator, they didn't really do much in terms of music back in the early 90s other than enjoy the silence. Um and then, you know, you start, if I'm remembering correctly, you started to see a resurgence in like 93, 94 a little bit. Yeah, I'm just going to gonna double check that just to make sure. Let's see here. 90s. 
Well, no, you actually, you had uh, Songs of Faith of Devotion and Ultra, and like those albums, I recall being pretty darn huge. Yeah, so those were, uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion was released in 93. And yeah. Ultra was 97. Yeah. So, but really, the majority of the success of Depeche Mode came in the late 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Other, like, it started in... Like, they, if you look at their 80s discography, so really their big songs were Just Can't Get Enough in 81. Uh, then you had Everything Counts in 83. Uh, People Are People in 84. Uh, and then you didn't really start to see much from them again until 87 with Strange Love. Uh, then they re-released that in 88. <laughs> and then they had Everything Counts, Personal Jesus, Enjoy the Silence. Yeah, and then, you know, Violator, that was, like, the the big one. The, like... Yeah. Yeah. But still, like, they're, the stuff that they put out afterwards, like, they're still putting out really awesome albums these days. Like, uh, I know that uh, Sounds of the Universe is coming up on its 10th anniversary. They released that album in 2009, and that album is actually amazing. Can't say as I've heard it. I haven't heard much from Depeche Mode, though, like after uh, the 1990s, to be honest. Oh, yeah. And like at the, at this point in their career, like they don't need to make big singles because they have that, you know, huge fan base who is going to be nostalgic to see them anyways. But also like Depeche Mode fans are also like really hardcore. Just like basically like I I think their their fans are pretty much just as like dedicated as like Nine Inch Nails, just off the top of my head, because yeah. there there is like so much crossover there. But yeah, like they they still they still manage to sell out shows. They're still doing really well. They they're past they've evolved past the need for hit singles. And then you don't get do a big want. And then you don't really get any big names again until we get down in the '90s. And uh, Balbiv DeVoe actually had two songs in the '90s. Uh, when will I see you smile again? Debuted at '92, and uh, still going down on the charts was I thought it was me at '97. Yeah, and then at number '99 you have The Cure with Close to Me. And at '95 we had Maxi Priest Close to You. Oh, look at that! <laughs> Uh, and then the Information Society as well was there at number 98 with Think, which is not the big Information Society song. Yeah. Although very similar in terms of what the name of the song is, because their big one was What's On Your Mind. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, <laughs> lot of introspective stuff. I like that. I like the how they're thematically consistent. I respect that. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, is Janet Jackson's Love Will Never Do still the number one? I like this song. I do. But really, not really, no. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm much alongside you, especially because the other two songs that we have talked about that you know, that we quite enjoy on that top ten, uh, Justify My Love and Gonna Make You Sweat, uh, I mean, Justify My Love. That was at number did, one. Did get the number one. Did, uh, I'm going to look up, did Gonna Make You Sweat eventually get to number one? I wouldn't uh, be surprised if it did, but at the same time, like I feel like it might have been one that just peaked in the top five somewhere. 
in the U.S. No, it did get its number one. So. Oh, okay. So, I mean, eventually it would have gotten there. It's just not there at the moment. So this was our first look at the Billboard charts in 1991. Later on this year, we're gonna be taking another look, probably around the end of September, start of October, somewhere around there, where we see what happens with the charts and see if grunge made an overnight impact or if it does take a little bit longer for the rest of the music of 1991 to really kind of fall out of favor for the new stuff to come in. I'm Tim Gavin. Thanks so much for checking out my podcast. And if you haven't yet, make sure you binge the rest of the episodes. Lots of stuff in there for you to enjoy and maybe some new music to discover along the way too. Uh, Links to our sources and some other show notes over in the description of this episode. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Tim Gavin Radio. And we'll talk to you next time. Additional production for this episode by Scott Mitchell. I'm Tim Gavin, and this is The Tim Gavin Show.